Hello and welcome to the Qubit Guy podcast, brought to you by Classic, the quantum algorithm design company. My name is Yuval, and my guest today is Steve Flinter, Vice President, Artificial Intelligence and Machine Learning at MasterCard Lab. Steve and I talk about specific quantum applications that MasterCard is exploring, and how they're different than typical financial services firm, what's holding them back from moving to production, and much more. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please let us know how we did by emailing hello at classic.io. That's hello at classic.io. Hello, Stephen. Thanks for joining me today. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So who are you and what do you do? Yeah, so my name is Steve Flinter. Uh, I work for MasterCard in our R&D division. Uh, and I, among other things, lead up our um, research areas around emerging technologies. And, and that includes... Obviously, things like quantum, but also areas that we focus on, like 5G, like uh, looking at new forms of payment. So anything that we think is going to be relevant to MasterCard or our customers now or in the, in the foreseeable future. Excellent. How did the quantum computing group start at MasterCard? Um, sometimes we see it starting from the top. Sometimes we see it starting almost like a Skunk Works project that someone does in his spare time. How, what was the case in MasterCard? Yeah, I think in, in our case, it was probably a little bit more bottoms up. Um, it, it was started, I guess, um, based uh, out of some ideas that our our executive VP has uh, around technology. And, and he and I kind of discussed, you know, where this was going. Was it at the right time for MasterCard to, to get involved? Uh, and I guess our first kind of formal foray into this space was uh, a, a research project um, being organized by IBM, uh, locally IBM Research uh, here in Ireland, uh, as well as some universities and startups. And, and that was uh, co-funded by the Irish government. And that kind of gave us the impetus to, to get involved. So we, we started with this kind of multi-party collaboration with uh, other leading players. And we've, we've kind of built and grown the team from that. And how large is the team? And, and if I may ask, what's the composition? Is it mainly physicists? Is it mainly finance experts? Is it of the above, you know, what, how does it, how is it built? So we kind of look at people with a data science and mathematics type background, um, less so with the, the physics side. I work with other colleagues in other parts of the organization who are looking at kind of other applications of quantum technology, so quantum networking and so on, and, and they bring specific expertise around cryptography and, and networking type technology. But of the areas that I'm particularly interested in, it's mostly on the applications of quantum computing to solve business problems. We sometimes see that uh, the quantum computing is relatively small because the computers are relatively small these days. But companies are sometimes working to build broader support, sort of prepare for the future, educate other colleagues around quantum, um, maybe go around the organization and look for use cases where that could be applicable in the future. Is that something that you're doing as well? I mean, what kind of effort are you engaged in, in broadening the knowledge and imparting it to others? Yeah, no, I think all, all of those things that, that you mentioned are definitely very relevant to what, what I do and what we in, in R&D are trying to do. Um, I guess you can kind of think of it in a few ways. One is we are, we're trying to do that awareness raising, you know, at an executive level, at a senior level, 
trying to help them to understand, you know, what are the, the technology trends at companies like yourselves and IBM and D-Wave and, and the hardware vendors, you know, what technologies are coming out of the, the tech space that we think is going to be impactful for us and, uh, and for our, our customers? And how should we think about that and invest in that as, a, as an organization? We're also kind of focused on, you know, kind of getting into the weeds of what are specific use cases that we think are going to be relevant uh, how do we start to bring some of those to life? How do we help uh, our product managers and product owners think about what are the relevant applications for quantum? Because uh, as you well know, and as your listeners will know, you, you need to think about this in quite a different way. And, and the kind of the classical way of thinking about, you know, approaching problems from a software engineering or computer science uh, approach may not always be the right ones. And so there's definitely a, a degree of education and awareness we need to raise there. And then probably I'd say the other angle that we're looking at is uh, about helping to educate our broad group of technologists and engineers right across the MasterCard organization, not just in, in R&D. And so we work closely with our learning and development colleagues to think about, you know, what sort of internal training and education resources can we put in place? How do we help interested developers empower themselves and, and kind of go on their own learning journey, even if it's not directly connected with a product development effort or an R&D effort, but to kind of build their own skills and awareness, particularly for, for those who have a, an appetite and an interest in this area. So th there's an element of, of all of those things. Sometimes when people talk about quantum computing, they talk about hype. And I think a certain level of hype is good because it builds excitement and funding and helps recruit people. But when you go around the organization, do you typically run into, oh, this is 20 years away? Or do you see more of a thirst to learn and, and understand how it could be applied to a business problem? Yeah, it, it, it is a challenge and it is definitely something to uh, to navigate. You know, there are there are those out there who, who would hold an opinion that it is that kind of 10 to 20 years out and it's it's still kind of largely in the in the realms of science fiction. There's others that kind of wanted tomorrow and, and when can we have it? So, so the, there definitely is a balancing act between, uh, between those two and, and trying to set real ex realistic expectations uh, around you know, where the technology is, the pace at which it's developing, and, and when we think it's realistic to expect quantum computers to start to deliver business value. And so I think for MasterCard and for some of our customers, kind of you know that kind of two to three to four year horizon is is where we try and place the the work that we're doing you know what is happening within that time horizon that can potentially deliver value uh, we can certainly take a perspective on what's further out uh, and see how that is going to kind of roll into longer term roadmaps uh, but we tend to be focused on you know that kind of short to medium term time horizon and you know, thinking about that in terms of what is our response to that area, what types of applications do we think are going to be practical or realistic in yeah, in, in that time frame. But I think coming back to your, your question, overall, I think there is definitely an appetite to learn more. There's an appetite for people to inform themselves as to what's going on in the space. And, you know, it's partly it's, it's my job and, and the job of our team to try and ground some of those expectations, make them realistic, you know, get the excitement there, try and get a sense of urgency around it, but but not oversell either. Listening to your answers sounds like you're very focused on practical applications on relatively near term. So let's talk a little bit about applications. I, I think I read on the MasterCard website that you're doing um, or trying to apply quantum to customer rewards. That sounds a little bit like quantum machine learning. And then on uh, routing of contactless 
transactions, which might be an optimization problem. Could you shed a little bit more light or give some more detail on these applications or other things that you're um, willing to talk about? Yeah, so I mean, I, I guess first, if, if anyone kind of Googles or, or looks up applications in financial services, very often you'll find things like, you know, derivatives pricing and credit risk uh, scoring and, and these kinds of applications. And and they certainly fit very well in an investment banking uh, or securities market kind of view of the world, but but probably less relevant for, for MasterCard and for our customers. And so part of what we've been doing over the last uh, couple of years is to look at, you know, what applications are out there? How do we start to characterize them? And, and some of the ones you've you've kind of pointed to are certainly in the areas that we we see opportunity. So, you know, MasterCard, for example, has a very large loyalty and rewards business. It may not be kind of known to all of your, your listeners, but it's certainly um, a key part of our business. And, and we're one of the biggest players globally in that space. Uh, and there's, you know, a number of hard and interesting problems in that area around, you know, how do you find the most appropriate reward or offer or, or loyalty event to give to a, a, a given end user or end customer. And there's a lots of, you know, different optimization problems within that kind of subject to different constraints. So that's, you know, definitely one area we're, we're interested in and exploring. Um, MasterCard at its heart is a network business. You know, we move information from, you know, from merchants, from retailers uh, through an acquiring system to our issuers, the banks who actually issue your, your payment card. And we also work uh, and are developing many other payment networks. And so there's kind of large um, routing problems that exist within all of that to move all of this information around. And so, again, we think that, you know, there are definitely opportunities in there to apply quantum to um to solving some of those problems. Uh, so, so there are, you know, a couple of great examples. You mentioned quantum machine learning, you know, that's definitely an interesting area. And, you know, MasterCard uses machine learning in lots and lots of uh, different avenues, you know, not least of which would be fraud detection, um, fraud reduction. So, you know, are there applications for where there can be specific quantum approaches to some of those areas? So I would say it's it's an evolving landscape. We're continuing to develop and, and kind of try and, and seek out some of those use cases. And particularly then, you know, back to my earlier point, try and align them with where the technology is, where it's going to be in the next, you know, three, four years, uh, and ensuring that we're not kind of attacking problems that actually are going to need devices that might be five to 10 years out. So, so it's trying to find the right problems for the technology that's available now or will be in the next couple of generations. Just out of curiosity on the routing problem of transactions, because when I think of transaction routing, it sounds, oh, we're just moving a couple of, or many bits around. Um, is this more of an, uh, an arbitrage thing that you have to convert from one currency to another? Is that about uh, transfer fees? How much does it cost to move this money around? W what is the sort of the cost function or the cost drivers of uh, optimal routing? Cost may be one of the, the, the things you want to optimize for. Another kind of longer term uh, strategy of MasterCard that we've been building out over the last number of years is, is what we call multi-rail. And, and this is basically the concept of having different forms of payment. So, um, you know, the, the kind of consumer to merchant payment is the one that everybody would recognize for MasterCard. But we have evolved into things like uh, account to account payments in certain markets, into business to business payments in, in other markets. And so, yeah, you, you have, as you kind of grow these different forms of payments that you can support, 
the the kind of routing options kind of grow exponentially or combinatorially and and so there could be different ways of managing the payments around you know flowing through the network or networks collections of networks that we we run and manage so so th- these kind of problems grow larger and larger as we try and uh, serve different parts of the payment ecosystem if you had to guess how soon before one of these applications is in production or or maybe one already is in production uh, not in production at the moment. Um, we are definitely working towards being in a position to bring uh, quantum applications into production in the next number of years. It's, it's hard to put an exact time frame on it. Uh, and obviously sooner is, is better than later. Um, but I think, you know, we, we are, we're definitely motivated to find those kind of, you know, relatively near term, you know, near being two, three years near term uh, use cases that can deliver actual business benefit. And we're not really interested in kind of putting quantum into production just for its own sake, just to, to show that we can do it. It's much more around, can we demonstrate that we can solve a problem through a, a quantum-driven process that is you know, meaningfully and noticeably better than the alternative that we could do through you know, traditional um, CPU, GPU type computing. And, and better can mean different things. You know, it can be, it can be a, a, a just a, a better result, a, a better optimization. But it equally could be, you know, we can get the same result in a, in a shorter amount of time, or we can do it at a, a lower cost in terms of energy or compute power or whatever. So better better can mean different things. But really, it's that idea that can we deliver uh, an application or set of applications to the organization that can, you know, as I said, deliver that kind of commercial benefit. And uh, and that's kind of where we're, where we're focused. And you know, to, to add maybe one other point to that, part of what that then drives into is, is also thinking through, well, what does it take to actually put something into production? And, and for us, that's not just, um, you know, being able to run something by hand through a Jupyter notebook or, you know, a Python interface. It's how do we plug it into a pipeline? How do we run uh, run it as part of a, a 24-7 operation? How does it get scheduled relative to other things? So there's that kind of operational side of putting it into production, as well as the actual solving the underlying problem piece of it. As far as moving into production, what are the key things that might help you move faster? Do you need better computers? Do you need better software development platforms? Do you need just more people? What is it that if you had you know, your three wishes, uh, what, what would you need to move faster into production? I think one of the one of the big challenges that we have as we approach the whole kind of quantum computing space is... You know, a lot of the problems and a lot of the the systems that Mastercard have are are big data by nature. You know, we deal with you know vast amounts of transactions and and the data that those transactions uh, generate. Uh, and so, you know, as, as you know, and as your your listeners will know, uh, quantum computers you know struggle with that. They're not big data processing machines. And so, you know, a lot of what we do is trying to figure out well, how do we how do we take a, a, a a problem that might have originated in in a big data environment and turn it into a, a compute problem that is um, practical for um, you know for a, a quantum approach, and and that can be you know looking at areas like uh, compression or clustering or other approaches to kind of you know data density reduction or or, or data um, you know data size reduction. So so there's kind of some of the things that we're we're trying to think through. How do we solve those problems and uh, and and being able to you know, solve problems that have that kind of large data um, kind of uh, 
characteristic to them, I think, is is one of the kind of central parts of what we're uh, what we're trying to tackle. As we get close to the end of our conversation today, I wanted to ask you about two unrelated topics. The first one is sort of global geopolitics, if I may. <laughs> MasterCard is a global company, and and there seems like at any given time something is going on around the world, and especially these days, there's a lot of focus on what's sometimes called the quantum's arms race. You know, who's going to have the bigger computer and the faster and who's going to be able to crack whose encryption and so on and so on. Does that worry you? Does that impact you? Or do you leave that just to the governments to take care of? I mean, th- there is certainly a, a big aspect of that that is at a, at a government level. And, you know, for MasterCard, we, we're kind of present in almost every country in the world and, and you know, have relations at, at you know, with with those countries, and so we, we, I guess, try and steer clear of uh, of, of some of those issues. And um, you know, I'm probably not the, the best person to comment on that at a at a corporate level. But uh, you know, I I think the, the 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 key things that you know, as I said, we're interested in is is very much focused on um, you know working with the best technology, and that's coming out of different regions, uh, and then ensuring that we can use that technology. To deliver benefit to our customers, you know, who again are, are regionally distributed, and what we may well find is that each of those regions may have their own policies, their own governance around how they want quantum computing to be used in uh, in in their areas. And I know, for example, Europe is is very keen on ensuring that it has its own quantum industry and can compete competitively with the U.S. and China. And, and we may end up having to kind of allow for some of those developments in our own strategy. So. But, but we do kind of approach things as a global company and, and trying to solve things for a, a global customer base. And I'm guessing you also are monitoring the impact that quantum computers might have on cybersecurity and, and cryptography. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, as again, anyone who reads about this area in the press, it's it's often one of the first things that they'll find is, you know, a, a kind of a doom and gloom scenario that quantum computers are, are going to break all cryptography. And again, back to to our earlier conversation around the the hype around all of this, you know, that's definitely something that we need to to manage. And I think level set around, you know, it, how the potential that is there and, and but maybe 10 to 15 years out so getting the right level of of interest and and action and reaction to the potential that's that's out there but for sure you know i i'm certainly tracking you know how people are thinking about it how they're responding to it um, bodies like nist for example who are looking at cryptographic standards and how they need to evolve uh, and that's definitely a big part of um you know a, and will continue to be a part of our our strategy going forward to ensure that the cryptography that we're using, you know, now and into the future will be, you know, quantum resistant or, or quantum proof. And actually, we published a, a standard last year, and uh, I think you, you alluded to it earlier around contactless payments. Uh, and that kind of standard, you know, took a, a deliberate set of decisions around the cryptographic schemes that it was using, so that it would be quantum resistant, you know, by the time that that standard was fully implemented and rolled out. And so I think we'll. We'll definitely see more of that where, you know, system architects and security architects are taking into account the potential future uh, power and capabilities of quantum devices in the standards that they write now. Because, you know, these standards take time to write. They take, you know, potentially a long time to roll out. And so, you know, we're not just solving for issues that are here, you know, this year, next year, but potentially 10, 15, 20 years out. Steve, how can people get in touch with you to learn more about your work or to see if you've got openings on your team and, and so on? 
Uh, LinkedIn is, is probably the, the best place to get me. Um, so Steve Flinter, I don't, there's not too many of us out there, so it should be easy enough to, to find in, in LinkedIn. Um, so happy to, uh, to engage with, with people who are interested in, in this area. And, um, you know, definitely we're, we're hoping to grow the team and continue to add expertise uh, as, you know, as we build up those use cases and as we get closer and closer to, um, you know, building applications. So for sure, I think it's a, a very ripe area and one in which, uh, you know, I think we will be uh, kind of growing our investment over time. Excellent. Thank you so much for sharing your insights with me today. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Yuval.